Please bow with me. Father, thank you for a day. Thank you for this day, in fact. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, let this be your message and use my voice, but may it be your message. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I went on a walk to Emmaus in August of 2000. And there's lots of what I call opportunity moments on a walk, uh, times when there's an opportunity to experience God or a time to meet God. And during one of those moments, a time when I was reflecting on the great gift that Jesus gives us through his sacrifice on the cross, I experienced something quite profound. It was a change of heart moment for me. See, I already knew Jesus as my Savior. I'd accepted him as a 16-year-old in the basketball bleachers in high school. Uh, Tony Franey, my friend, uh, was told me all about Jesus. I was raised in the Catholic Church, but I really didn't get this relationship thing. I, I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus, and those are two very different things. So that was when my status changed, right? That's justifying grace, what Andy talked some about last week. That's when I was converted or saved, the moment when justifying grace was at work in my life. Now, in Emmaus lingo, and I'm just going to tell you, in far too theological of terminology, <laughs> this was when God's grace was imputed to me. I was declared not guilty because of what Christ had done for me, not because of anything that I did, as Corey just illustrated. Um, when Andy talked about being justified because of what Christ did last week, this is what happened when Christ's righteousness became mine. It's kind of like your family name. It's imputed to you. We're not as righteous as Christ. We are made righteous by Christ. So just know that we are not as righteous as Christ. We are made righteous by Christ. And it's, it's an incredibly important distinction. But back to that moment during my walk, as I was sitting in contemplation of my own failings, which were and are many, um, I heard something. Now, it wasn't an audible voice, as some have heard when they hear God speak, but it was clearly from God. And the voice simply said, Mike, I love you, and I forgive you. And then for emphasis, it came back and said, Mike, I love you. And I forgive you. And as often happens, it was one more time. Mike, I love you. And I forgive you. And I knew God's love and grace was extended to you. I even knew that it was supposed to be extended to me. But I never really got that internally, right? The, the farthest, you've probably heard this, but the farthest distance you travel is about 18 inches. It's from your head to your heart. It's not that far, but it takes a long time to get there sometimes. We get stuff in our head, but to travel from our head, get into our heart, often takes a lifetime. But in that moment, God's grace traveled from my head to my heart. And another theological term, it was imparted to me. My heart changed. And today we're going to be talking about sanctifying grace. And that's really about the heart change that happens in our faith journey. And it happens more than once and more than at once. To all of us. So I want to drop back just a little bit. You remember that we experience the one grace of God in many different ways as we continue on our spiritual journey. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about provenient grace, where it's like if I, it's from when we're born to when we're converted, and it's like looking at a prism, this idea of grace. If I'm looking at it from here, oh, that's provenient grace. Over here, justifying grace. Over here, uh, sanctifying grace. It's one grace, just seen from differently depending on where we are in our journey, but it's one 
grace. So prevenient grace is at work from conception to the moment we say yes to God and beyond. Justifying grace that Andy talked about last week is the gift of God by which we accept the relationship that he offers to us. He offers all of us this relationship with him, and we say yes, and that's when justifying grace comes into play. Bless you. In two weeks, we're going to examine the, uh, or in, next week, we're going to look at obstacles to grace, those things that get between us and our, in our relationship with God, and then we're going to close with means of grace, the things that help us to celebrate and strengthen our relationship with God. But today is sanctifying grace. In the passage, I'm going to read this one, and then we'll read one together. But 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Got it? Not confusing at all? Let's, do, let, let's read this one. Uh, this is from the message. It's a translation, or a, a, it's an interpretation paraphrase. But read this with me. Whenever, though, they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are, face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it all, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. This is the process of sanctification, which is another churchy word, I know. But what it really means is being set apart, being holy. There's another one, right? What is holiness? We are set apart. We are to live differently. When we talk about holiness, we're talking about being set apart for God's special use and for his purpose. An easy way to remember all these terms is that that this is about the process of being made more and more like Jesus over time. I found this from Billy Graham. Being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It's a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. When we talk about sanctification, we're talking about this movement to be transformed from glory to glory, to become more like our Savior. He's our target. We want to be like him. And so over the course of time, God refines us and and takes us through the refiner's fire as he molds us and and brings us to be that the people that he has called us to be. And sanctifying grace is the gift of God providing the desire and the power. Isn't it good that he doesn't just say, here, I want you to do this, but I'm not going to give you the instrument or the strength to do it. But he does. He gives us the desire and the power to grow in our relationship with God forever. One way to look at this is, so physical birth begins the physical process of growth and maturity, right? When you're born, you, you begin to grow, and when you're, what, do you, what do you eat when you're young? Milk. And then you move up to solid foods, and, and then, you know, steak and, and stuff like that. Our spiritual life, our spiritual birth, this moment of justifying grace, conversion, being saved, salvation, being born again, whatever you want to call it, well, that begins the process of spiritual growth toward maturity. 
And, and, and what that is is sanctifying grace, sanctification, growth in grace. So we want to pursue this set-apartness, this holiness, this sanctification that is before us. And it happens because the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit works in and through the heart and life of every believer. He's at work in our lives. Too many of us for too long drink milk. We never move to solid food. That's why we encourage, challenge, cajole, use whatever word <laughs> that, that you want to use. We, we push, get, exhort, you know, there's the, you know, whatever it is to, to study, to pray, to, to embrace the spiritual life of, spirit, of the spiritual disciplines to become who God has created you to be. He has a plan for your life, has a plan for my life. And, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us to move through that. He's in your heart and life, and he's in there for every believer. And grace is simply God's active love toward me. See, back in that day, God knew my heart was filled with self-doubt. And I had a lot of memories of the many failures in my life. <laughs> many failures in my life. So he spoke to me in a way and at a time that I could internalize that love and grace. When we come into contact with the living God, we cannot help but be changed. Cannot help but be changed. And so I was changed in that interaction. So grace is God's active love toward me, but it's also God's love and action toward others and toward the world that God created. The role of the church is to give followers the tools that you need to make a difference outside the walls, in your homes, in this community, and in this world. We are an equipping ground. We are a training ground. To come, we come and we learn so that we can go and make disciples of all nations, right? It's not just so that we come here and gather. It's great to gather and fellowship is an important part of our journey. But if we're not getting the tools and being equipped to go into the world and make a difference, then we're dropping the ball in discipleship. And that's what, you know, we've got to do this and we need each other. And our response to God's grace involves both of these. It involves both love and action. So sanctifying grace is divine energy, this power, dunamis, that transforms our heart and life. The power, say it with me, power, power dunamis, right? The power uh, is, of God is at work restoring our relationship with God, our relationship with others. We can't earn God's love, right? Will, where'd Will go? Here, hang on. I, he's out of power. Say, say dunamis with me. Dunamis. Right on. Very good. So, so what Corey showed you, she showed you that God's grace is a gift, right? You know, he just gives it to you. You don't have to do push-ups because he loves you just as you, just who you are. But he'll, he'll continue to work in you to make you a different young man and the same. And same with David, right? Did you know that, David? That God's love and grace covers you. He loves you so much. You don't have to earn it. Right? Did Corey teach you that this morning? Just say yeah. <laughs> right, Charlotte? You got the dollar. <laughs> but even if you hadn't got the dollar, did you know that, that God's grace is extended? It's a free gift. Right? It's just given. He loves you so much. That's how much he loves you. And, and, and that gift is yours to, to pick up or not pick up. It's all in your hands, up to you. We don't earn it. When we look at this, we don't earn God's love by changing our ways. Rather, we change our ways because of 
God's love. Does that make sense? You know, we don't, we don't earn, earn our way be, to, to, to God's love, but it's going to change us. We make a fresh start day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute sometimes. But when we receive God's spirit, bearing witness and with our spirit that we are beloved children of God, it's Romans 8, 15 through 17, our knowledge of this identity as children of God forms the foundation for all of our relationships. In medical terms, you could say that restoration is the process of spiritual growth and, re- and the recovery of our health. See, we're going to talk about obstacles to grace, and, and really the, what obstacles to grace is is simply sin. Sin gets between us and God. That's the obstacle. It has many faces, but it gets between us and God, and we are sick with sin. So the healing process is God's grace. He's at work perfecting us. Breaking it, you know, it makes us in his image, in his likeness. It's important to remember that this conversion is a process as well. It happens at once, but not all at once. It's lifelong. It's a lifelong process of dying to what is evil, rising to what is good and true, and that is Christ in us. The gifts of the Spirit, and we've talked about these many times, are given to help us grow and to build up the body of Christ. This is a way to remember this is 12, 12, 4, 4. Um, because that's where you'll find, uh, get, there's more, but this is the primary place that you're going to find lists of the, of the gifts of the Spirit. So it's Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. It's 12, 12, 4, 4. And those are, are the lists that, that, uh, that Paul has given to us and Peter has given to us. But those gifts help us to grow and build up the body of Christ. They're, that's what they're for. They're to make a difference. And as we mature, our life is going to display certain qualities known as the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, no, we're not going to do that, are we? <laughs> All right, y'all ready to learn the song? See, if you volunteer with the kids, especially the guys, you want to learn, you want to learn the fruit of the Spirit? You want me to put you on? Okay, guys, tell me the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What if, what if we go, pick a fruit. Somebody pick a fruit. <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> I know. Teresa, pick a fruit. Orange. You ready, Corey? Fruit of the Spirit's not an orange. The fruit of the Spirit's not an orange. If you want to be an orange, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, faithfulness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, guys, you ready? We'll even, we'll even let you, let you. The fruit, okay, we'll do a, a kumquat. The fruit of the Spirit is not a kumquat. Fruit of the Spirit is not a kumquat. If you want to be a kumquat, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One more, Tammy. Fruit of the Spirit is not a banana. (laughs) The fruit of the Spirit is not a banana. If you want to be a banana, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is... Isn't that awesome? Give yourself a hand. 
Galatians 5, 23. That's, you now know the fruit of the Spirit, and that song will just kind of stick here. So just keep running it through your head. Uh, but that, <laughs> honestly, I, I would not remember, and then I, well, I don't remember what I volunteered to do, something, and then next thing you know, I'm singing this song, and the next thing you know, it's stuck in my head, and now it's just there. But you know what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's right. <laughs> so the fruit of the Spirit, that's, that's what are we talking about. It's qualities, qualities, uh, the qualities of the Christian life. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, now, it's not fruits. I just want to point out it's not a plural. It looks like, well, what about all these things? This is what the Christian life will entail. Some of these things uh, are, I, I bear easily. Some of them take a lot of work. Some I'm not really good at. But, but these are elements of the one fruit of the Spirit, that when we have Christ in us and the Holy Spirit is working through us, this, these are the elements of that Christian life that we're going to see bearing fruit. See, the Bible tells us that every vine and fruit tree requires pruning. Anybody like pruning? No, no. I don't even, I don't even garden. But I <laughs> and I really don't like being pruned, you know. But God is in the business of perfecting us, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But perfecting us, and it involves pruning. So that means sometimes we get stuff cut away that hurts, you know, as he refines us. And life and grace is a life in process. Sometimes that process is painful. Now, Christian perfection is an interesting term because it's both instantaneous and progressive. It happens at once and continues to happen. The Greek word is teleos. And it, it, it means perfect, but it also means complete, full-grown, mature. We were having a Bible study some years ago. It was a, a, the Thursday morning Bible study. And we had a, a person there, and we got in this debate about perfection and what this meant. Because her, her stance was that she should not sin ever because she should be made perfect or sinless. And so I just, you know, I knew the word, and, and it really means mature. And it's not about being sinless, although that's our target. Being perfected and being made mature is a process or as part of a growth to becoming a mature Christian. So it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm never going to sin, which is good news, <laughs> you know. But I am being perfected. I am being matured. I am being moved from glory to glory. I am being sanctified. I am being made holy at, throughout my Christian journey. You know, in the beginning, you have a wide path. There's a scripture that says <laughs> narrow is the path, right? As we go along, that path narrows because we begin to see differently and, and we encounter the living God and we see the path as, as different. And so that's just a natural part of it. But just know that it's not about me being perfect. You know who, who was perfect, right? <laughs> Jesus. And he is our target, but we, we're not going to make it, you know? We want to be like Jesus, but we can't be Jesus. We fall short. The Israelites proved it, you know, <laughs> time after time. So, so our goal is to become mature. It's why Bible study and why we hit on this stuff so much. Pray, do all of those important works, serve, be the hands and feet of Christ. You know, the Holy Spirit empowers us to, to see and serve Christ to the least and the lost in our church, in our, in our homes, in our city, in this world. 
Matthew 25, 31, right? It's a, it talks, 31 through 40, talks about feeding the hungry, uh, giving, giving water to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the sick and the prisoner. Jesus is saying, you know, t- pointing out to, to the righteous ones and, and saying that, you know, this, these are the things that you did. And their response was, when did we do that? And the answer was, whenever I did it to the least of these, your brothers and sisters, you did it to me. This idea of service is critically important for us. It it's, it's gets us out of ourselves. There's a lot of positives to it. We got a mission trip going down to Florida. Get involved with that. Get involved with iServe and the different areas of service that are around for us. The Holy Spirit's going to equip you for gifts of ministry in, in the places he would have you to be. Because every person is gifted. Every gift is needed if we're going to fill out all of what God is calling us to the Holy Spirit equips us to obey the great commandment and the great commission. Great commandment. Just for you, Amy. Love God and love. <laughs> Not Easter peeps. Talk to Miss Amy. Miss Amy will tell you about, her, about peeps and what they are. Love God, right? Love God, the vertical cr- part of the cross. That we love God and we love our neighbor as ourselves, the great commandment. Also the great commission, which we always say at the end, right? Go and make, join me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wow. That's awesome. That's, yes, that's, that's what we're tasked with is to go. And, and this, this process is natural. And, and if it is a natural process, you know, you would probably say, okay, how does it happen? How, how does this maturation go on? Jesus told us that a life in grace is as natural as a branch connected to a healthy vine. We are grafted into the vine of Abraham. It's an awesome thing. And it becomes a part of us as we seek the things of Christ, to be drawn, to be wooed as we said a couple of weeks ago. And when we encounter God, it continues to change our hearts, sanctifies us. It happens in a lot of ways. Prayer, in prayer and worship, we open ourselves to God. We're rooted and grounded in, in love and intimately connected to Christ through prayer and through worship. In study, we give our minds to God and, grow, and we grow in, in the mind of Christ. In action, we give our hands and feet to God and we participate in the work of God. And that includes works of mercy, which is simply... Pro- I serve is a work of mercy. They provide food for people. Also works of justice when we encounter things that are oppression and those things in our world that we need to come up against, we do so because that's part of what we're called to do. So our, our role is to open our hearts to receive grace as a gift. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. We don't earn it, don't deserve it, yet we get to receive it if we open our hearts to it. It's a powerful, powerful thing that the creator of all wants to share this relationship with us. And we share this, the, the grace of God in community. It's why gathering together is so important, why we're here today. It's critically important. So in the gathered community, small accountability groups um, are really important. Um, in that place, we receive strength and, and nurture, kind of as a branch does from the vine, John 15, 5. We come alive in Christ. That's the Ephesians 2 passage. 
We learn the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, and help one another remain rooted and grounded in God's love, which is Ephesians 3. We need one another is the bottom line. That's why the parenting group is so important, this, the Bible study, the Tuesday night study, the women's group that meets on Wednesday. All of these things are really important for growth in our, in our journey. And so we respond by full participation in the mission of Christ in the world. So there's three things that I hope you're beginning to see more clearly through already through this series. One is that God wants a relationship with us even more than we want a relationship with him. He loved us with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31.3. Another is that God's role in sanctifying grace is to fill us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's a passion to our walk. And, and you know, it's not a dry thing. You know, I'm very passionate about my walk because, it, it, you know, the, the God of all, creator of everything, you know who he loves? Me. How crazy is that? You know who else he loves? You. How crazy is that? You know, he created everything and yet he is invested in us to the point that he died for us. Wow. I think people need to know about that. They need to know how much this God of ours loves them. So I've tried to pick up my cross daily, Luke 9, 23. And small groups, the last thing is small groups. I know we're just talking about this, but we talked about it in the past. They're an important means of sanctifying grace for disciples. We need each other. I need to be challenged. You need to be challenged. You may not want to be challenged, but you need to be challenged. And, and that's how we grow. You know, the parenting group. Are you learning from each other? <laughs> sometimes that's how it works, right? Sometimes we learn what to do, and sometimes we learn what not to do. But it's learning. But, but we are sharpening each other, right? when we do that. So let me get back to my earlier story. You know, as I sat in that room those years ago, I realized the depth of what Christ had done for me. Because I knew the depth of what Christ had done for you, but I, that I didn't recognize that or I hadn't internalized that. I received the grace that was so freely given, this grace that was imputed to me because of Christ, not because of what I had done, but because of what Christ did. And since that time, I found myself seeking a new path. Because of what he did, I started doing things differently. And when I went back to the church I was going to at that time, I, I started serving with the youth, uh, became, started, started, got with the worship team, um, started doing, leading worship, Sunday school, a lot of different things that we did. And as my road continued, I got this call to ministry, which I, of course, argued with God about for four years. I didn't feel worthy of it, right? You know some of my history, and I'm not, when you say pastor, I'm not what pops in my head, right? It ain't me. And, you know, oh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's something else. It's, you know, I'm, I'm a mess. <laughs> it's like, pastor's supposed to have it all together, you know? You know, so I can't even fake having it all together. <laughs> so, so it's, you know, that, so it didn't, wasn't, I just didn't feel worthy of it. But over a course of time, God's message to me became clear that it wasn't my righteousness that sanctified me, right? It wasn't my righteousness that made me holy. It was Christ's righteousness that had become a part of me, had been imparted to me, that had been maturing me and changing me so that I could answer this calling, you know? There was a time when I would not have gone into ministry because I wasn't there yet. But this process of maturation took me to a new place. 
So I don't know where you are in your journey, but just know it's all that, that we are in process, and that's a good thing. So often we look for an ending, right? We, or, or, we, or we expect my walk to be like your walk and hurry up and get here. You know, I've been a Christian since I was 16, so like 15 years. And <laughs> Sorry, I lied. I shouldn't lie from here. <laughs> so I've been a Christian for a long time, right? That's like uh, four, 43 years. Ah, 43 years. <laughs> so, so you've been a Christian for a week. So what's taking you so long? You should be here. Come on, you know. How, anybody, you know, kind of relate to that? It's like, what is wrong with them? They don't have it together. Well, they've been coming for a, for a year. They should already be there. Takes time. Be patient. God is going to move hearts. God is going to meet us where we are. God is going to continue to work in our hearts, going to mature us, lead us to a new place. Some of us embrace that movement and seem to move quicker. Some of us fight that movement and maybe move a little slower. Some of us embrace it for a while and then fight it, and, and it's back and forth. But all of us need that movement. We need God to move us. We need God to be active in our hearts. So this Lent, I pray that we no longer fight the movement of God within us and the movement of God through us, but embrace whatever that calling is. You know, some of you have done that, and it's scary, and, you know, you're out on a limb. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you know, but in the end, God comes through. It's the craziest thing. God comes through in the end. He's our way maker. You know, he's our way maker. He will make a way where there isn't a way, and it's an amazing thing. Michael.